0: Actually, I could be, if I was really, really integrated, I would be doing it on paracetamol and then claiming the paracetamol is making me high.
1: It's Friday, June the 21st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derek, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Sign Spotter, and with me today is my fellow Dutch News contributor and gone native person, Molly Quell. Our other regular co-host, master student, and taxi driver, Pal Peters, is once again missing because he's auditioning to be the next Zeman model.
0: Actually, the Zeman model story I think was my favorite news story of the week. Ah, it's my and favorite, we're not even kind of, going
1: to do it. Yeah. I know it's so my favorite is uplifting, positive news story. Really of the week. It's nice, positive. It was really uplifting, positive. For anyone who doesn't know, this is the story about the Zeman advert for lingerie or well underwear. Really, it's about sort of six euro same man Exactly. Cheap knickers. Exactly. Cheap knickers. Uh, but it featured um people who weren't just sort of young and hot. It was just sort of there's an elderly couple and yeah, a, a pregnant uh, woman. A pregnant a woman, woman who
0: dared to not shave her armpits. Th-
1: that, that that I think caused the most op of all, I agree. Of all the people in that advert. Yeah. Not even yeah, even more than the, elder, the the older couple.
0: Yeah,
1: so I would agree. But there's one there's a rather lovely interview on RTL with uh, the woman uh, in the couple who's sixty five.
0: And she's basically like, yeah, old well, people have sex Yeah, so
1: we have sex. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah.
0: that's so, that's true. Yeah. But uh, but Paul felt left out. So I hear he wants to uh, participate in the next. Yeah, I think he wants he to address right? the
1: balance in favor of younger people. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true.
1: And he, yeah, and, and you seem to spent most of the week um, being extremely Dutch. I of, have uh,
0: been extremely Dutch, yeah. uh, except for the part where I have. Had jaw surgery on Wednesday and took all the painkillers, plus some, which is not very Dutch. Well,
1: taking the painkillers is not very Dutch, but using competent healthcare is quite Dutch. That's very Dutch.
0: Um, But otherwise, I have complained about the weather being too warm this week. Yeah,
1: and And we spent the whole of the rest of the year complaining about being too cold and wet. As soon as it gets over 30 degrees, you say it's too hot. I complained about it being too
0: warm, and I made an appointment for September.
1: Yes, in your agenda. In my agenda. You wrote an appointment down for September three months yeah. ahead.
0: Yeah, it's not its not quite as Dutch as it could be because it's a lunch <laughs> appointment, not like for coffee, which would have been the real Dutch way to go. But, you know, I've got to leave some things to aspire to, I think.
1: Yeah, indeed. And you also live in a street where, where, where this, which is festooned with orange bunting um, yeah. because of the football.
0: Yeah, it, the uh, my neighbors have gotten very into the, uh, or are very into the women's uh, football, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. And, uh, I was unaware that there was football going on until <laughs> they knocked on my door and asked me if they could hang slingers in front of my house, which right. I of course said yes.
1: Did they, when they, sorry, they knocked on our house or did they go around with a clipboard and a piece of paper saying who is for and against the slingers? Uh,
0: they had us, they put, actually, I think what they did is put a sign-up sheet through the door, yes. uh, that you had to check off and return to a certain street. And then there was a datum Pricker to decide when they were going to hang the slingers. There's
1: always a datum Pricker. Always a datum Pricker. Yeah. You uh, also use Dalton Picker, that's not a very Dutch thing you do
0: It's very efficient, it's very useful <laughs> You sound so Dutch I know, I'm so Dutch But uh, the street has been s- its so well festooned That we've appeared in both of the local <laughs> Delft papers this week right. So they sent a photographer around to take pictures Excellent. Uh, but that photographer Is not the only one taking pictures, Gordon Because you have also been taking pictures of random things On the street
1: Well, not random things These, uh, very um, the, the end of my road is closed off Because they're putting in new traffic lights it's one of the few places in The Hague that doesn't have these smart traffic lights that that, that spot you and let you go. Uh, so they're changing those. So because they've taken them out, they've had they've had to put up diversion signs. And I think at the, in, there are at least six different signs that you drive past on the way up to this junction. One of them to tell you about the diversion for cyclists one to tell you about the diversion for cars one specially to tell you that the flower shop and the ice cream parlor are still open it's very important it's very important like the fact that the council will actually have these signs up in the, on behalf of local businesses it's very important it's very good yeah. so yeah so anyway yes. Yeah, so just that sort of over so, over embellished signage I think is a very Dutch thing my favourite sign I ever saw for that actually was there was there um, was uh, I wrote, there was a diversion one time, uh, just around the corner from me, um, and there was a diversion for cyclists, and the sign actually told you how many extra calories you would burn by taking the three minute diversion.
0: That sounds very dad. <laughs> very dud. Have you been going to the ice cream parlor and buying flowers then, Gordon? Because you know that they're open.
1: I know they're open. I haven't been so far. i am going to the ice cream parlor because it hasn't been quite ice cream weather, but maybe this week. Maybe this uh, week, we, we, yeah. we, we will do that.
0: Yeah, next week when it's ungodly warm.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I uh, so was not here. So he's doing here. the up uh, I, I think, think it's my, I think you should do. I it. my turn to do the up half. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the up
0: I think the less that I have to speak, the better off we are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think said that's a general rule. Yeah, that's true. As a Leo women are winning match after match in the World Cup in France. Women's football is becoming increasingly more popular, and it's started to be taken seriously by the media, up to a point. Uh, a perfect example of this is the Daily Talk Show Studio France about the World Cup broadcast by the Nos. Initially the broadcaster received lots of praise for investing so much airtime and money in the talk show, and for inviting a relatively large number of female commentators. However, in Wednesday's episode all this progress came to a grinding halt, when commentator Hugo Borst took it upon himself to vary the line-up a little bit, Whereas at the Men's World Cup, they tend to have uh, the five best moments, or moister momentum, uh, which is things like the best bits of skill and the uh, the best goals, Hugo decided that he would instead have a list of the five most attractive players, which caused enormous hot piff on social media, to, to Hugo's surprise, but absolutely nobody else's. Yeah. He claimed that he intended to stir up a discussion, but uh, the bored and disappointed expression of Tessa Middach, his co-analyst in the studio, kind of said everything, really. Yeah. Um, she said, quote, I need a moment to recover. I'm
0: surprised she only needed a moment. <laughs> yeah,
1: did you didn't really yeah. specify how long this moment was. No. I she, suspect she, she's still recovering. I think
0: she's still recovering. And may
1: well have gone into therapy.
0: Yeah, I hope, which I hope Hugo Bort is paying for. <laughs> this is just so stupid. How did he not think that this was going to be a problem? Uh,
1: maybe it's because there's absolutely no self-awareness. Yeah, that's,
0: that's definitely true.
1: So they started an enormous amount of anger in a short time on Twitter as ever to nobody, almost nobody's surprise and uh, now uh, the World Cup seems to be going on and uh, hopefully we've drawn a line under it.
0: Hopefully Hugo Boss doesn't talk anymore during it. That would yeah. be my, uh, my goal. <music>
1: This week there's been a big development in the MH seventeen case, a smaller but significant development in the animal kingdom. Mark Rutte has some surprising words for business leaders, and the Dutch women's football team continues to make waves at the World Cup. In our discussion, we'll look at why the Technical University of Eindhoven is opening applications for academic posts to women only.
0: Because Hugo Borst keeps discussing how beautiful <laughs> female football players are.
1: I just hope he doesn't look at get a list of the lineup of candidates for the next professorship. Oh my god. Nearly five years after flight MH17 was shot down in the skies over Ukraine, four men have been charged with murder. Three Russian military officers and the Ukrainian separatist commander have been accused of bringing down a Malaysian Airlines plane in July 2014 and murdering all 298 people on board. A trial date has been set for March 2020. The joint investigation team, led by the Netherlands, said it had traced the Buk missile that brought down the plane to the Russian army via telephone calls that implicated the four suspects though none of them actually pressed the button. Relatives of the victims welcomed the development. Pete Pluch, chairman of the association Stichting MH17, said, quote, the train has been setting motion. NATO's secretary-general, Jens Stoltenberg, also urged all countries to, quote, cooperate with efforts to establish truth, justice and accountability.
0: So who are the four men that have been charged with uh, murder?
1: The most senior of them is Igor Gherkin, also known as Strelkov, who was named defense minister in the eastern Ukrainian city of Donetsk during the Civil War. He was the highest ranking officer in the area. Prosecutors also say he's a former colonel in the FSB, the Russian Intelligence Service, which of course is uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, former employer. Spooky that. Gherkin released a statement denying that the militia shot down the Boeing. Then there's Sergei Dubinsky, one of Gherkin's deputies who said to have worked for the GRU, Russian Military Intelligence. Oleg Pulatov was a former soldier in the GRU Special Forces, according to the JIT, and deputy head of the intelligence service in Donetsk. The only Ukrainian national in the Quartet is Leonid Kachenko, who has no military background but commanded a combat unit in eastern Ukraine. And the head of the Dutch prosecution service, Fred Vesterbaker, said, quote, Although they did not push the button themselves, we suspect them of cooperation to get the weapon to the air with the aim to shoot down an aeroplane. And he also said that in Dutch law, people who were not present during a crime but played an important organising role are just as guilty as those that actually carried out the deed.
0: And how likely are these guys to stay on trial?
1: Yeah, this is the six million euro question, and I think the answer is not very likely. And uh, even Fred Westerbaker admitted that uh, off the bat, really. He said that they're not seeking extradition simply because neither Russia nor Ukraine extradite their own citizens. It's banned by law. Two of the suspects, Gherkin and Dubinsky, have already said they won't cooperate with the investigation, so they won't be uh, travelling voluntarily to the the Netherlands either. Bulatov is apparently under arrest in Ukraine. It's not quite clear why. And there are international arrest warrants out for the men, so they can be arrested if they set foot outside Russia. Uh, But it's a pretty big place, so not much danger of that. But the Dutch are already making arrangements to try the men in absentia at the High Security Courthouse in Schiphol Airport, and a judge has been appointed and a trial date set for March the 9th.
0: Yes, I will be uh, covering this film. You
1: yeah. most certainly will be, yeah.
0: It'll be, it's going to be great, I'm yeah.
1: sure. It's going to go for a long time. It's going to so. go for a long time. long, long time.
0: So, um, Gordon, what's Russia saying about all this?
1: Well, Russia has denied all along that it's responsible for shooting down flight MH17. Uh, President Vladimir Putin gave a personal statement on Thursday, arguing that no evidence had been produced, uh, even though... it's
0: quite a bit low. odd, considering there's been... Yeah. A lot of evidence And produced. I think
1: the, prosecu- the Dutch prosecutors went qu- into all the evidence in quite a lot of detail Yes, when they um, announced the charges.
0: An excruciating amount of detail. It was a <laughs> really long press conference. It was.
1: Um, Putin also complained that the international community had refused to listen to Russia's alternative yeah. account of events. According to Dutch prosecutors, the Russians have obstructed the investigation at every turn. They've failed to answer simple questions, such as where the book missile was at the time of the crash. They've promoted wildly speculative alternative theories, and they've denounced the whole investigation as a conspiracy to isolate Russia and justify sanctions. Mark Rutte has signed a letter to Russia this month, urging it not to frustrate the inquiry any further. He's also said he will support relatives' attempts to bring a case against Russia at the European Court of Human Rights. Oh, this is
0: just such a garbage situation.
1: Yeah, it's just running on and on, and it's become so tangled up in diplomacy and international... Uh, strategic uh, considerations, yeah. And Russia actual...
0: promoting weird conspiracy theories, yeah. It's just...
1: Yeah, I, th- I think what we sort of discovered this week is that it's just how why Russia has been so um, we've been obfuscating the whole thing because actually did, uh, I think the chain of command goes all the way up into the Kremlin and yeah. uh, Putin's not happy of with, yeah uh, that, that kind of detail being revealed yeah um, among other things and and also it's just uh, become uh, quite a good. Uh, way to promote um uh conspiracy theories and denounce uh mm. the west as being uh anti-russian um yeah. but yeah it's, um, and then the kind of the, the concern of the relatives which is just to you know get the truth out in court is yeah. kind of getting a bit lost in the in all the in, in all the crossfire
0: yeah i mean i think there hasn't been I, I i don't think that this is anyone's fault russia's fault maybe i guess but it's not uh, you know, I think the Dutch, the joint investigative team have done, you know, everything that they can. But yeah, I mean, if you was your relative that had been killed in MH17, I think you really feel like there's been a complete miscarriage of, of justice, basically, and that there's no... You know, until now there hadn't. The, you know, until this court case in March, there hasn't been anybody being brought to trial, which is a long time, I think, to wait for answers about like this kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's just a garbage situation. Yeah, around. it's been
1: a long wait. I mean, the pre- thinking back to the uh, uh, the Lockerbie bombing, it took 13 years yeah. to get the bomber on trial. These yeah. things just take, take ages, ages, especially when there's diplomatic you know, issues, d- diplomatic issues evolved, yeah. and just the simple the, the amount of work that goes into just doing the um the investigation thoroughly and the fact that they've actually put the put the pieces of the plane back together, you yeah. know, which in itself just took months. Yeah. It's a slow process and yeah. I think the the Dutch have just been diligent and got on with it yeah. and tried to ignore all the you know, um all all the stuff that's been going on going on in the in, in the background. Yeah, it's a, a, it's a very Dutch way to approach. It's very Dutch way to approach things. Yeah, I think one well, one interesting point that came up is uh, well, a slightly technical legal point, but I think it'll um, be interesting is the fact that they they've charged him with mort or murder and the Dutch definition of murder has got quite a high bar yeah, you relative have to, to have other forms premeditation right yeah and the issue is going to be I think well okay because one thing pretty much everyone agrees on is that uh, the missile was not aimed at the civilian airliner It was right. supposed to shoot down the fighter plane right um, and it took out the airliner by mistaken identity or misguided whatever yeah. so then the question is given that it was supposed to hit a different uh, aircraft can it still be classed as premeditated murder of those people.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess we will uh, see in March when the Toronto That's something we'll see, yeah. Sure.
1: So uh, again.
0: So in some good news, the boys are back in town. And by the boys, I mean the wolves. Wolf cubs born to wolves known to have settled in the Veluwe region of the Netherlands in April have been caught on film for the first time. The cubs, there's at least three, were filmed by a special camera set up in the hope of recording activity around the wolf family. They're the first uh, wolves to breed in the Netherlands in 200 years. The location is being kept secret to protect the young family from sightseers, according to uh, Helderland Province, which is uh, monitoring the family.
1: Yeah, and it's a nice little video has gone quite viral, is not it, that the province put up. It's only 13 seconds. Yeah, but they're
0: very cute, so we'll link to it in the liner notes, and you should take 13 seconds out of your day to look at these little fluff balls.
1: It'll be the best 13 seconds of your day. For sure. Almost certainly. Prime Minister Mark Rutte has issued a veiled threat to the business sector that the government might have another think about cutting corporate taxes if they don't put up wages. Speaking at the Fafa Day party conference at the weekend, Rutte said it wasn't "quote not acceptable that executive pay was going up while CIOs, which decide shop floor wages, had largely stood still." But Hans de Boer, leader of the Fenoceve CVO Employers Association, hit back at Rutte, saying tens of thousands of small businesses would suffer as well as the big multinationals if he scrapped the plan. He might win back 10,000 Socialist Party voters, but he'll lose the entrepreneurs, said de Boer.
0: So I guess the question is, are there more Socialist Party voters or entrepreneurs on the other ones?
1: Probably the latter, I think. And yeah, are there any entrepreneurs that vote for the Socialist Party?
0: Uh, Probably.
1: Yeah.
0: So why is a liberal prime minister picking fights with business, Gordon?
1: Yeah, it is quite a notable choice of language for the leader of what's basically a right-wing cabinet. Um, I think Greta is kind of mindful that he needs the support of moderate left-wing parties now in the Senate, because the coalition lost its majority, so I think he's, he's conscious he needs to make noises that will uh, appease the pfdr among other parties. And he's, he's also responding to the broader criticism, I think, that his cabinet has uh, been too focused on the corporate sector and not enough on just ordinary workers. The coalition agreement currently includes plans to cut the tax on corporate profits quite substantially. The top rate would come down from 25% to 20.5%, and the basic rate will go down from 20% to 15%.
0: And is it true that wages have uh, stagnated?
1: Well, they rose by 2.1% last year on average, according to the CBS, but much of that gain has been cancelled out by extra household expenses, uh, such as raising the lower rate of VAT from 6% to 9%, and energy bills have gone up because. Quite a bit. Yeah, by quite a bit. Everyone's noticed that uh, because of the new taxes that are supposed to um, underwrite the switch to renewable energy. Um, and as a result, uh, yeah, basically, the, what gains people have made in their wage packets has immediately been taken out again uh, in their bills. And Rutter, I think, is uh, very aware of that, that people are feeling the pinch uh, at a time when the economy is doing very well. And uh, they, yeah, he, he's concerned that people feel that uh, although they see the country as a whole doing well, but they're not really feeling it in their pockets. Hans de Boer pointed out that the collective tax and premium burden has gone up by, since 2010 from 36% of GDP to 40%. And the government's macroeconomic think tank, the CPB, has also revised downwards its expectations of uh, how much people's disposable income will go up. It previously said it would increase by 1.6 percent this year, and now that's uh, been uh, reduced to 1.2 percent. So, yeah, I think he's always got his finger on the pulse and is a a good strategist in political terms. He's aware that uh, this has become an issue uh, people are dissatisfied with um, not seeing, not feeling the benefit of the economic growth. And he's kind of passing the buck to the business sector and saying, you sort it out.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, to see what happens. A layward a butcher has found himself stuck with a pile of Gilder notes after he allowed his clients to pay with the pre-euro currency to celebrate his shop's 25th anniversary. It's really annoying, but at least we won't forget the weekend, butcher Johannes Hoekstra told the odd day. Customers were allowed to pay 1994 prices for their mints and sausages, bringing in some 7,000 guilders, the equivalent of about 3,200 euros. After the day was over, however, Hoekstra discovered that the central bank no longer accepts guilder notes from companies, just from private individuals.
1: Ah, uh, so a bit of an oversight there. He didn't. Bit of an oversight. Yeah, didn't check this out in advance.
0: Maybe should have looked it up. Before Maybe should
1: hands. have just uh, had a word with the bank before he. Yeah did this but, uh, but, but he seems happy anyway he, he
0: does thing. seem happy yeah. he's not sure what he's going to do collectors and customers who have heard about his predicament have said that they would uh, buy the guilders from him but Hoekstra has not decided yet what uh, what his decision will be he says if we've lost our money that's as it may be we've had a great weekend at any rate
1: yeah but he was so caught up in the euphoria they actually failed to notice that some of the bank notes were less than kosher weren't they? because uh, there was yeah. a, uh, there was a, um, a brown hundred guilder note which had guilders' face on it
0: yes yeah. that was uh, that was <laughs> Not an actual currency, <laughs> he said that they were really busy during the yeah. uh, this party, and that like his staff, who was not used to taking guilders, was not super <laughs> prepared for what yeah. exactly was a they, an, an actual. They uh, didn't Gilder. think that
1: maybe a guilder's banknote was not actually legal tender.
0: Yeah, I guess you know if you were, <laughs> I'm not sure I would recognize a guilder, so I assume that, that there's a lot of people, young people, who probably wouldn't. So they're, so. they're very they're very attractive
1: notes, the yeah. guilder notes, were you, you have the bright yellow. Um, with flowers and the, and the blue ones as well. They, yeah, they, they were yeah some I newest. don't think
0: I've ever seen them. so no, some, you know.
1: some, of the, some of the loveliest old uh, banknotes. No. And, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but the Carewilders one was never really... No, no, um, Carewilders has one. never
0: been on a... He's never been time. on a real
1: banknote. Yeah, yeah, and uh, almost true. certainly never will be. Let's
0: hope
1: not. The Dutch women's football team has qualified for the knockout stages of the World Cup for the first time. After winning their first two matches against New Zealand and Cameroon, the Leovinnen beat Canada 2-1 on Thursday evening to finish the round as group winners. Viviana Minama's two goals against Cameroon means she's now her country's record goal scorer with 60 even though she's only 22. Orania's next match is against Japan on Tuesday evening.
0: And uh <clears throat> Gordon, what about the um the men? Well, they're, they're
1: getting better. Mm-hmm. Um Orania's slow rehabilitation in men's football is continuing. After losing the Nations League final to Portugal, they climbed two places to 14th in the FIFA rankings. They're just three places now behind Germany, who are their opponents in the next European Championship qualifying matches. However, the FIFA rankings continue to be led by Belgium.
0: Ooh, <laughs> that hurts. I think for that Dutch ca-
1: football fans, that's the worst, that thing, deep. The worst yeah. possible outcome. The Dutch have led the rankings once for one week, but Belgium have been top for months now. Ouch. So, yeah. yeah. yeah
0: and uh, I hear there's some uh, Zonfort news.
1: Uh, yeah, if uh, you, you're you looking forward to watching the Grand Prix racing at Zandvoort uh, next summer. I'm not. No, uh, but if if you were, it, it would cost you because the tickets are going to cost at least 140 euros a head. That's expensive. It's a lot of money, yeah, to go and watch cars. Not even to watch cars going round and round cause you won't see the whole thing. You'll just sort of see one zip past one tiny bit yeah. of the track again and again. Um, it's basically a sport that's much better suited to watch on television. Nevertheless, if you want to go into the dunes, it'll cost you €140. Euros. If you want to spend the whole weekend in the golden zone, uh, What's whatever the that is... I imagine it's, uh, it's, it, the, the, it's wallpapered with gold, given that it costs you €510 Euros to be there. I would hope so. Um, registration is already closed uh, for tickets, and actual sales will begin on Monday. If demand is at stripped supply, there'll be a lottery. So the organisers obviously expect there to be high demand. Um, so we'll see we'll see how many people want to buy tickets. But uh, All of
0: this for an activity that barely qualifies as a sport.
1: Yeah, that as well, yeah. Uh, please direct any complaints to Molly at Dutch News.
0: No, it's uh, Gordon at Dutch <laughs> News. That is, so you can direct your Molly is sport shaming again complaints. to. So.
1: We'll be discussing the Technical University of Eindhoven's attempt to redress the gender balance after this word from Paul.
0: Oh, yeah, from Paul. Yeah. That's true. Nice of him to make an appearance. Nice of him to
1: drop in, yeah, with a pre-recorded segment. Yeah. Hey you, you, listening to the podcast for free. We're really glad you all like our OPF coverage and Dick Laureate jokes, but it costs money to bring them to your ears. If you have a few extra bucks and you would like to support the work we do, you can now back us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsNL to donate. We will give a shout out to all our backers on the podcast. If you donate 50 euros, Gordon will dedicate the next podcast to his love of lavender stroopwafels. For 75 euros, Molly will watch one entire football match. And for the low, low, low amounts of 100 euros, I will vote for the Socialist Party in the next election. So please go to patreon.com slash dutchnewsNL to support us and keep Truby fed, which is very important. The Technical University of Eindhoven is to limit applications for new academic jobs to female candidates for the next 18 months in a move that sparked plenty of feisty commentary on social media. Women appointed to new jobs will also receive an extra starter package, including 100,000 euros to spend on research and a mentoring programme. The university expects to have around 150 vacancies in the next five years. If a suitable woman can't be found for the job after six months, the vacancy will be opened up to men, provided they wear flattering outfits and know how many sugars a boss takes in her tea.
0: I heard they were only going to open them up to men if they made it on Hugo Borsa's uh, top. (laughs) (laughs) The five (laughs) most attractive academics. I'm
1: not sure how high the standard is for that. So why has the university taken this step, and will it really make a difference? I
0: mean, I'm very convinced by what I've seen on Twitter that the university has taken this step because it's attempting to commit genocide against men.
1: That's what uh, Twitter seems to be saying, almost 100% university. That's what Twitter yeah. seems to
0: be saying. Yeah. So what has Eindhoven said? Why are they doing this, Gordon?
1: At the moment, around 16% of full professors, 15% of associate professors, and 29% of assistant professors are women university rector Frank bianz said that existing measures to boost the number of women on the staff are not having the desired effect so basically still women lagging behind when it comes to being appointed to these jobs we attach great importance to equal respect and opportunities for women and men he said he also went on to point out that diverse workforces perform better they have better strategies they have more creative ideas and they innovate faster uh, all of which apparently are bad things
0: those are definitely bad yeah
1: we are using the fact that plans to expand our academic staff considerably in the coming years can be used as a means to make a big step forward. So, yeah, I suppose another important point is that this is mainly going to be new posts. It's yeah. not going to be existing yeah, posts. Yeah, we are not going places, and firing yeah. everybody yeah.
0: that's already there. Yeah, they're not
1: clearing out, having a big clear out of the men and appointing women in their place.
0: If only we could do that in <laughs> society.
1: The university's goal is for at least half of all newly appointed uh, professors at the assistant professor level to be women.
0: And so... I, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of stuff on the scheme that makes it seem like, I don't know, is going to take all the men out back and shoot them in the head. That's not exactly how this is going to work. So maybe can you tell the listeners a little bit about how this program is set up?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a temporary program. It's a fellowship, actually named after Irène Curie, who's yeah. the daughter of Marie Curie, and also won a Nobel Prize. Yes. So she was the underachiever in the family because also mum won two Nobel right. Prizes. But um, God, that must
0: make family dinners <laughs> awkward, right?
1: I know. Yeah, but it's a it's a temporary thing. For the first eighteen months, they will apply this to all uh, new appointments, one hundred percent. And then thereafter, they will they revise and adjust, so it may come down to uh, a lower proportion. Um, when they re- evaluate the scheme, um, uh, the university has set this target of fifty percent of associate professors and thirty-five percent of associate full professors uh, to be to become women.
0: And is that that is that new hires or is that like a uh, uh, that's overall? Uh, that the, the,
1: I think that, that, that is across the board. I yeah. think uh, okay. they, they want basically the, the, the ratio to be brought up yeah. from its current level, where only one in six pool professors. And of course, these days fifty percent of students or just under fifty percent of students are, uh, are female. But, uh, you know, um, 21% of uh, professors, uh, this is across all um, yeah. universities in the Netherlands. Yeah. So we're uh, seeing are, are the women. increase
0: in the student population, but yeah. we're not seeing it reflected. It's in the taking a while should. to filter
1: through. And um, res- researchers have analyzed uh, this and said that if you just carry on with the current system where women just catch up gradually, it'll take till 2048. So another quarter of a century. Right. Until you have equality that's in the student
0: population is reflected in their teachers. So I think my first question about this is, is it legal? Uh, because there have been a lot of comments on our Facebook page yeah. and many others claiming that this is uh, not legal. Um, it strikes me as slightly odd because one would think that a large esteemed university with an entire goddamn legal department would have investigated the question as to whether or not this is legal prior to starting it out.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of uh, op ed about this. There's a lot of backlash and commentary saying this is uh, sexism in reverse and, uh, and it wouldn't pass, uh, you know, it wouldn't stand up in court. Uh, however, actually the university checked this out in advance and they, and they, did their they ran work. it past Dutch law and uh, European law as well to make sure that it does contain enough safeguards to make sure that it doesn't fall foul of discrimination law, because you know under the Dutch Constitution you cannot discriminate on grounds of gender or religion uh, or race however there are exceptions uh, to that and uh, employment law specialist Gordelen uh, Bormann from uh, GMV explained the rules um, in quite a good article on, on Wuppermann which we'll link to and basically there are special circumstances in which there has to be a severe discrepancy between the number of women in post and the number of available and suitable female candidates so if it's evident that there are women who can do the job but they're not being appointed then it, it, you can do something to address the balance. It also has to be a proportionate measure and in this case I think uh, Bormann's argument is uh, that Eindhoven has made sure of this by making it a temporary thing. It's not permanent, it can be reversed fairly easily and it will be constantly evaluated um, to make sure that it's still um, applicable. Um, it has to be necessary and the university has argued that it is because they've tried all the other approaches and they haven't worked. And it has to be well known in the words men applying for these jobs shouldn't be taken by a surprise that they, they can't apply and given there's been so much publicity about it uh, that there can't be a, a male academic in the Netherlands who's not aware that this restriction is in place. So by all those criteria this does meet the requirements of Dutch law. Also, Frank Barnes has said that if exceptionally talented men are available in any particular field, they will still be considered. Uh, exactly how that's going to work out um, wasn't specified. But uh, yeah, it, so it, if it, they if can poach a really good professor yeah, from another basically. university
0: yeah. who is a man, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah,
1: exactly. There's plenty of flexibility in, in the rules.
0: So, Gordon, what do you uh, what do you think about not being able to uh, apply for jobs at the University of Manitoba?
1: Yeah, it's a real setback for me. I've got to say, there yeah, are so many it's jobs. It's really hurting back, hurting your career. Take, when looking at it broadly the current system is still letting them down. I think uh, Bordelaine Bormann said at the moment women are not seen or, not, or reluctant to come forward and the, the idea is that uh, people will now actually go out looking for Suitable women to fill these jobs. Uh, a lot of the response to this was from people who just became aware of this issue for the first time, yeah, and kind of weren't, uh, to say, "Why do we have to take such an extreme, yeah, hardline? Why don't we move. take a more measured, why approach? Take a more measured approach?" But the more measured approaches haven't really worked. Yeah. And of course, also you can, you know, if you find that this is a too radical a step, it's fairly easy to reel it back. If you find that six months is too long to wait, you can reel it back to three months or whatever. But you know what's
0: crazy about this? Yeah. So it's it's an experiment. <laughs> yes. And this is a research institution you'd think that they'd be real into uh, experiments. But instead, somehow, when you experiment with this, it's Mm. considered a travesty. But when you experiment with, like, I don't know, like some chemistry crap in your lab, (laughs) it's considered okay. It seems to me that has done a very good job sort of saying, like, you know, we have goals. These are our goals. Mm -hmm. We've justified these goals. The guy was talking about how important it is for diversity in the workplace and blah, 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 blah. Uh, We've tried a bunch of other things and none of those things have worked. So now we're going to try this. Yeah. as an experiment
1: yeah the thing that's interesting to me is that uh, people are up in arms uh, that, that we have this uh, measure that discriminates um, against men which it does to yeah be fair. it does but the current system discriminates against women there, there is so much evidence to say that happens. Yeah. People are fine with that. They say we should go back to the system that discriminates against women. We don't have any objection to that. Right. We only object to a system that discriminates against men. So yeah. the argument really boils down to we don't like it when you're upfront and honest about discrimination. We'd right. rather you were just hypocritical about it. Right. And discriminating
0: <laughs> against women and not men, of course. Yeah. I mean, the system yeah. would be quite different, I think, if, if yeah. it was the other way around. But
1: I think people kind of flatter themselves that uh, if they just think a bit harder about it, then their, their unconscious biases will magically disappear. And that's yeah. not how it works. No. People in general, I think, just underestimate how hardwired these prejudices are. And it's not done through ill will. It's not done through... I think this is the other thing. People are offended at the suggestion that they are deliberately suppressing women but they're not. They just—they're just, they're not aware of the fact that if you are a panel of men making a selection of academics, you will tend to pick men. Yeah. This doesn't just happen in selection panels for jobs. I mean, if, if, if you go and look at your bookshelf at home, yeah. You'll tend to find—I did this the other time—you tend to find that you know that you, especially for men, actually, you're much more likely to have books by male writers than by female writers. I actually went and looked at my bookshelf one time, expecting that maybe sort of two thirds of books on my shelf would be by men. It's actually about eighty percent. Yeah. The and the it's biggest. not because I go into a bookshop and pick up a book by a woman and say, oh. I'm not reading that but just doing really reading. because you
0: come to this podcast every day and you're like oh you can't say anything because you're a woman but
1: that's just you that's you know? true. <laughs> that's, 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 not, that's, that's not all that's not, women that's not, not all women, women. <laughs> that's not what comes about women in general
0: yeah I mean I think that like people really i think overestimate this idea that there is like a perfect candidate for a job and yeah. that you're going to hire completely based on meritocracy and i mean as someone who's done hiring i think anybody who's ever hired for any sort of role knows that very often you have multiple qualified candidates and that you end up picking things based on fit in the team and like this kinds of stuff which can often play into you know gender and race and religion and and these things like that graphics in like such a way. And so like just this notion that like, well, if you don't open it up to men, you won't be able to find the perfect candidate. Mm. I think it's just a lie. Like there's no, no perfect candidate, right? That like no. you're gonna end up with lots of people who are qualified to do lots of these jobs and that by making an effort to hire women first, you're giving them an advantage that they that men have had for centuries. Yeah.
1: yeah as you say, people tend to grow into the roles. So yeah. whoever you appoint to a certain extent, obviously you don't just pick the first person off the streets, but whoever you appoint who's no, that was my your...
0: plan for getting a job. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: Just just standing around out front being a woman. It's it's pretty much how my career has worked so far. Yeah, that's true. um, If you pick someone who has basically got the qualifications and is well motivated, they they, they will do a good job. And um, this basically opens up the field to make sure it's not just the same people duplicating themselves.
0: What do you think about the argument that this harms women because it puts them in a situation where their colleagues and peers are going to think that they've just been hired because they're a woman?
1: But I think once you get your foot in the door, you, you become judged on how well you perform yeah Uh, effectively so in the beginning there may be some resentment there may be some backlash people have to deal with that and i think uh, actually this happened uh, in the past i think when women first enter the workplace people will often say oh you're only getting the job because we have to have a woman on the team Mm -hmm. and then the woman actually get in and do a good job and uh, suddenly those arguments would would vanish i think and of course you know in, in general when you employ people sometimes it doesn't work out for a whole host of reasons
0: yeah
1: but if you only have one or two women if you only have three women in a team of 20 and two of them are, saying, are no good, two of them don't work out for whatever reason. If two out of three women don't work, you tend to draw the conclusion that women aren't suited to the job. Yeah. If two out of 15 women don't don't, don't work out, then it's uh, that hard, yeah. argument becomes hard to sustain.
0: I think so. that anybody who's going to think that is going to think that regardless of whether or not yeah. this policy is in place. The people who have that in the back of their head, they have this sort of like underlying resentment that somehow they're being disenfranchised, Yeah. Uh, or have bought the notion that they're... that they're being promoted that they're they're not like those women i think you know those people are going to exist and are going to have those commentary regardless of whether or not there's like some sort of explicit kind of affirmative action type program yeah and
1: you know what i think that sort of argument will get diluted as well just by having more women in the workplace you tend to find those those attitudes grow out of just men talking to each other when there are no women present
0: yeah what's interesting about that is i was having uh drinks with a friend of mine on tuesday who had just gone a male friend who had just gone to a bachelor party weekends and he was talking about how it's just sort of being in a room with 20 dudes over the weekend just sort of brings out the worst and like male sensibilities and I was saying as someone who's gone on many a bachelorette party weekend where you're like in a room with 20 women for the whole weekend Mm. that it's the same thing that like somehow this like sort of weird gender dynamics brings to the surface the worst parts about each gender and that like somehow when you're in a mixed group that like you don't behave in these like same ways and i think that it's true and i think it's especially true in the workplace that, yeah.
1: like you have to make concessions and yeah even to the point that it took a long time for workplaces to have say proper arrangements for women who are breastfeeding yeah. because you know when there were very few women in the workplace well first of all right back in the day you, you just were expected to leave work when you had children yeah but then when they started to have mothers at work and again it took a long time to catch up because there weren't enough of them and gradually as you as the numbers start to balance out and, and you get women moving further up the uh, the chain and getting into management positions only then do you actually get these kind of, kind of things yeah. considered the other counter argument that comes up that i think uh, is worth talking about is the argument that these jobs in technical and engineering subjects are just things that women aren't interested in doing oh no, yeah well so, we're no good at it no you know, we're not bad at, at, at math it. we yeah. don't
0: like legos <laughs> yeah. yeah all that kinds of stuff i have a really great like personal anecdote for this because when i was in about I was probably about 10 or 12. I had a really bad math teacher in middle school and was kind of, like, struggling. And when my parents attempted to address this with the school, we were told by multiple people that girls are just mad at math and I should, like, focus on not math stuff, which Mm -hmm. I sort of internalized and then did a lot of, like, social sciences. And then when I finally got into grad school and was forced to take a lot of, like, math classes as a result, it turned out that I really, like liked this stuff Mm -hmm. and i've actually since gone back and gotten like an extra certificate in statistics purely because i found it interesting Mm. but it took me a long time to sort of like move on from that and i think that there's a lot of like internalization in society and culture that that men are better at like these math things and women are better at caring for babies which clearly i'm terrible at yeah um and so things that don't pay so much things that don't pay so much funny how that works And so I find it really, like, interesting that, like, if you talk to uh, women who are in STEM fields, they all talk about how much of a tightrope they often have to walk in these places Mm. and then that they're, like, constantly worried about looking, like, too feminine or not feminine enough in their clothing and these kinds of stuff, which, I mean, I am living in the same house as a guy with a STEM degree and he does not ever think about these things. (laughs) So it's funny like how much different I think that those kind of approaches are, and I find it extremely hard to believe that women aren't interested in these roles. what they're often not interested in is like being forced to be the token right mm. that like you come to a department and it's there's fifteen professors on staff and they're all men, and do you want to accept the job where you're an o- yeah. where the, you're the only woman because you're going to be like the token in the room, or you know you come to a department where you interview and there's 15 men on staff and, like, they make, you know, they ask you to take the minutes or get the coffee and then yeah. all of a sudden you're put off by this and maybe you don't want the job there, whereas that's less likely to happen, I think, if 50% of people in the room are women.
1: Yeah, and is it the case maybe that women actually can put off these jobs as well because it's a very male environment, therefore you have to sort of fit into a male culture as you say yeah. you, know, you don't feel like you don't really can dress the way you want and, and also you know you, you maybe have less family friendly hours and that, and that kind of thing and obviously it's not just women who raise children but actually the other thing about that is that if you have an all male culture where it comes from a, a more traditionalist mindset that uh, that men go out to work and women Take or take or take on the family role. Therefore, that that sort of cements itself because it's only possible to yeah. go into that culture if you are a man whose wife is bringing up the children. Whereas there are plenty of men, and I include myself among them, who actually also have the child raising role yeah. these days, and they're also excluded yeah. from these jobs because you have to be not just a man, but a certain type of man yeah. who leaves the childcare to his partner.
0: Well, and I also think kind of going back to what we were talking about a minute ago is, is that if you have a group of people at the table and they're all men that what becomes normalized for them is their same experiences. So it creates a lot of social dynamics and social norms that mean they sort of behave as though it's totally normal and possible to have dinners at night, right? Where like, Mm. you know, if you are in a role where it's a mixed group of people who are expected to be the primary caregivers, that that's not a thing that they do. I mean, I think that these things happen. They happen with a lot more than like gender stuff. I mean, for example, I always find this awkward dynamic where you're on a committee of people and they want to meet at a bar and there's one person in the group who is Muslim and that everyone's kind of side eye and trying to decide like if this is okay. But yeah. in this culture that we live in, consuming alcohol as part of business is totally normal where it's like not totally normal in other places. Yeah. And So if you were just in a group of people for whom it's totally normal to go out for a beer after work, mm. then you don't conceptualize the fact that like for some people, this is not totally normal, and that there yeah. are good reasons that maybe we don't want to do things this way. Yeah, um,
1: and you also have people who are in the group who kind of go out for uh, a drink and feel they can't really they can't really refuse because they don't have a valid reason to, and then people end up adopting cultural norms that actually they they, they rather wouldn't. Yeah, and I think it's the thing. It's it's not just people are sort of setting these cultural practices that they sort of feel almost an obligation to work into the evenings or to have a yeah. drink after work, even though it's not suited to them. So actually, having more flexible arrangements and more diverse workplaces doesn't just benefit women i think people overlook this it's yeah. not just for the benefit of women i think a lot of men will actually uh, see improvements in their uh, in their work-life balance as well
0: yeah yeah i think so too yeah well i guess we will see if uh Eindhoven, i don't get know, sued gets sued yeah. which they probably will yeah. burst into a ball of flames yeah. or starts initiates the uh, inevitable uprising against men for yeah. which my my pitchfork is real sharpened, so no, I know,
1: it just completes the feminazi apocalypse. I'm ra- I'm here been, for the
0: feminazi uh, apocalypse.
1: That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at DutchNews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at DutchNews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at Patreon.com. Slash Dutch News NL, which we'd really love because we need some more clothes pegs to hang up these blankets.
0: And also, I just had to pay to replace most of my jaw so I could use some extra cash this week.
1: So, two reasons to give us money. Uh, You'll also earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast and you can ask us an inappropriate question. My thanks to Molly Quell, not to Palpaters. I'm Gordon Derrick and we'll be back next week.